Welcome to One in Tarnation, Tar Heel Blog's Hot Take Podcast. On this episode, we're discussing UNC wins over NC State and Syracuse, looking ahead to the Duke game, and previewing the women in the ACC tournament in Greensboro this week. I'm Tanya Anderson, and with me as always is Brandon Anderson and Julius Emanuel. Hey guys, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Julius, how are things? Pretty good here, too. Looking forward to an exciting uh, next week of ACC basketball. Yeah, it's March. We all know what that means. The madness March. is here. Is that March sadness? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be continuing this podcast alone now. <laughs> so um, the last week's been pretty good for UNC basketball. Um, they are in must-win territory, at least uh, as far as the NC State and Syracuse games went, and they managed to do enough to win. Um, the The State game was really good and then kind of scary, but then really good. And then uh, the Syracuse game, I basically started asking Brandon halfway through the second half, how badly it was going to hurt when they lose because it really, really looked like they were not going to find a way to pull that one out. And I was going to have to be mad about it for probably the rest of the time. <laughs> um, they did a great job of making that look like we were heading down the, was it the road of broken dreams? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The boulevard of boulevard. Broken dreams. That's what it is. Yeah. And for it to come against Bayheim and his, never-ending sun parade and the stupid zone I would have just <laughs> I would have been mad forever about it so um but that did not happen so we all get to you know exhale a little bit uh UNC managed to lock down a double buy in the tournament which if you had asked me if that would be true several weeks ago I would have told you <laughs> that was absolutely <laughs> not going to be a thing um but hey the, the ACC is weird and so, so are the standings. Um, I guess we should start by talking about the NC State game. Um, UNC hasn't really been great on the road this year. They've uh, kind of come out a little lackluster away from Chapel Hill, but they certainly did not do that in Raleigh on Saturday. Um, how do you guys think that they played and, and what were your big takeaways from the win? Um, well, <clears throat> I would say new coach, same as or, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, so I kind of, I really was nervous about this game and I don't know why other than, uh, UNC's overall performance, like you mentioned on the road. So I guess I should take this time to just apologize to future UNC teams and fans alike forever being concerned about playing NC state until they decide that they want to be a formidable opponent that can beat UNC more than once every five years. Um, but, but yeah. And Julius, last time you uh, asked us if we would rather have a win or another year of Kevin Keats and we're getting both. Yeah. <laughs> we did not have to pick. Yeah, so, so I, I apologize for that too. I did not know. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I, I honestly thought that, uh, I don't know what happened there because if you – I don't know that any other coach, especially if Hubert Davis had had the same season um, that Kevin Keats had had, 
And it's Hubert's first year, right? This is what Keith, um, Keith's sixth year. The same conversations would not would, would be had. You would not be you'd not have the announcing crew like defending them openly um, uh, throughout the broadcast. So that's basically what they did. So hey, you know, more power to him. Cool. Yeah, we we got the win, and we get another year of him. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, my understanding is that they're basically defending Keats because Manny Bates has been out. And they're using that as this like talking piece of why the season has been so bad. And I don't understand it personally because I still feel like the ACC has been so bad that you shouldn't have needed Manny Bates to have success because like they have a couple of good players like Tarquavion Smith. If I messed up his name again, I'm sorry, but um, like he's been incredible. Like, they have Sebron's really good. Sebron's really good. So, like, I feel as though they had enough pieces to do more than they did, and they didn't. Would they have won the ACC or anything like that? No, but also they could have had a non-losing record, right? Especially in this ACC, like, yeah. I just found the whole thing be bizarre. But keep making excuses for him. I am. <laughs> I'm very yeah. happy to continue that. So. <laughs> Uh, another year of Kevin Keats coming down the pipe. And the question that I have for you right quick is, so I definitely understand about missing players and stuff, but is Manny Bates worth six or seven wins to NC State right now? Is his loss? The only thing that would have been worth him being in there is it would have been more challenging for UNC because Armando Baycott would have had somebody worth a, worth a damn (laughs) <laughs> I always forget if I could curse on this podcast anybody <laughs> worth a damn like to guard him but aside from that I just don't I don't I don't, I don't know that he makes up seven wins no. I mean if uh Bancaro is not going to be worth seven wins I, I don't know how um Manny Bates could be but I mean that's just me I don't know like I said, happy to have them continue making excuses for Keats but also I said on the last podcast that I didn't think whoever they could get to replace him would be any better. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I'll be very interested to hear what the next excuse is after next season. Um, <laughs> so stay tuned for that. They're full of them. <laughs> they- like Debbie Yao jumped out and she immediately made excuses for Keats. And then Boo Cargan came out and he's making excuses for Keats. Keats is making excuses for Keats. So it's just like, we'll just keep this train going. It's fine. Yeah. Well, and and to be fair, since they have been on the boulevard of broken dreams for 30 <laughs> years now, I guess I just got a Rolodex of excuses. Hey, let's sure. see if this one works. Uh, let's see if that one works. Like, you know, but it does seem, it does seem at least like, uh, at least on social media, their fans are not really buying the excuses anymore. Um, so yeah, next week we'll, or next season will be interesting. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Also, speaking of the last podcast, we made it very clear where we stand on the Leaky Black hype train and my soul about left my body in the first half when he went down with a non-contact injury because I know what we all probably thought had happened and I was ready to just be like, okay, we're canceling the rest of the season. I'm done here. There's no point. Um Things would have gotten extremely ugly without their best defender. He's also been a spark offensively. There was just no need to continue if if he wasn't going to be able to. 
Somehow, miraculously, it was only a hyperextended knee. And he could have played in the second half if they had needed him. But NC State's too full of bums to have him exert himself. So We also had a Puff Johnson. <laughs> we also had a Puff Johnson. And, and he picked up a lot of the slack. And, you know, those guys are going to be really important next year. Um, I know that the leaky situation is pretty up in the air. Um, the school announced that they don't know what he's decided to do. I know the scholarships situation doesn't exactly paint a picture of maybe having room for him unless uh, some of these guys decide that what the NBA mock drafts say is not reality. Um, I know one that might. And what's that? I said, I know one that might. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. It's hard to read that situation. I've had a very, very hard time reading that situation. But he very well could just go make his money for sure. Yeah, and I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying it would involve uh, basically saying I don't care that I'm not on any draft boards and uh, see what happens. But maybe you have, you know, better luck than people predict and and crazy things happen. Um, stay tuned. But I, I, for one, would love to have a leaky black back next year um, if we can make that happen. So um, I'm very glad that he's not more hurt. Uh, he obviously played in the game against Syracuse, so everything at least seems to be okay with that. Um, and I will consider that a giant bullet dodged. Um, speaking of people who just like absolutely went off in that game, they got had a, a really good performance. It was probably one of his best games of the year. Yeah. Uh, finished that one with 28 points and 18 rebounds. So basically that amounted to what we were kind of talking about earlier. They needed Manny Bates for this one. <laughs> and I mean, once again, I don't know if that translates to a win or not, but it definitely makes it a bit easier on their end because in this game and the previous game against State, they just had no answers for Baycott. He got anything he wanted, wherever he wanted on the floor within reason because he's not out there shooting three-pointers. But, um, yeah, he was just his usual dominant self with not a whole lot of force pushing back against him. Yeah, no, um, I agree too. Um, while we're at it, talking about them. So I think overall for me, I had the same reaction um, that Tanya did when Leakey went down. Not just wanted, you know, concerned about his overall health, but knowing how much he's meant to the team and, you know, to us as, fan, as fans too, right? We've been watching him. We want him to be healthy. We, you know, we know what he means. Uh, so my first reaction was, yeah, let's shut it down. We're going to, we're good for the season. Uh, we'll come back and we'll come back next, next year and uh, be better. But then Puff came up, right? Because yeah. even with us playing against state the way that we were, um, I just assumed that State would be able to make a run. UNC would go into one of their classic offensive droughts, uh, scoring droughts, and, you know, it would be a game. I did not have Puff doing what he did, even though it is a very welcome, welcome sight. But And I feel like we really shouldn't even be surprised at what he did, but I still am. And I'm like, oh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. 
um, you know, you know, where has this been? So, um, but I guess right now I kind of want to make a mini case for Armando for his player of the year. Um, candidacy right now. <laughs> so yeah. just right quick. So obviously he got the single season record for double digit uh, rebound games, surpassing Bryce Johnson. Uh, they were tied at 23. Armando has 24 right now. And I saw some people on Twitter talking about um, Bryce won the ACC player of the year that year. He did not, but he was, you know, a consensus All-American first team, first team on ACC. Um, yeah, so so that was still pretty good. But uh, Armando, while he's seventh in total scoring, he uh, leads the league in both rebounding and overall field goal percentage. Yeah. Uh, while I was That's looking at that, surprising. List, yeah. Also surprising. While I was looking at that list, Brady Manick is ninth in overall field goal percentage. Oh wow! I believe that one. Yeah. The other one's um, a little a little surprising. I actually do. So it kind of. Yeah, so it kind of brought up some like, okay, maybe we had some like missed opportunities here, which and also draws me back to like the Notre Dame loss and the pit loss, especially. But there was, you know, obviously we, we hate the pit loss, but the Notre Dame loss was kind of in that same category, right? That was also a game uh, that we should not have lost um, yeah. uh, going up there. But um, so leading the league in rebounding, overall field goal percentage, and he is not in the top 25 when we're talking minutes per game. So to do all of that and not be in the top 25 uh, for minutes per game, I think you've got a pretty good case for ACC player of the year. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember the other name that's been tossed around a lot. Alondez for, Williams. Thank you. Um, I guess I haven't watched him play enough. Well, wait kind of came on like gangbusters. Yeah. But then they've kind of since cooled off. Um, and I think, you know, for better or worse, as the team goes, so goes, um, voters and, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, he could still win it. And I don't think that he would be an undeserving player of the year, but I mean, Baycott has at least as much of an argument, I would say, if not more so. Um, so I, I think he should be in contention certainly yeah i mean we've seen players in the acc do a lot less and they they get it um i don't know i i have some very strong opinions about what i feel is with like the acc player of the year thing and the coach of the year thing but i also have equally strong feelings about how it's probably going to p play out. So I'm just like preparing myself to be a little annoyed. <laughs> yeah. We know who's winning the coach of the year. Yeah. Always. Yeah. <laughs> they, don't, they really don't even need to vote on that. We already know how that's going to go. <laughs> and they were even talking about it the other night, like, oh, he hasn't won it in so long. It's like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, it's, like, it's kind of a joke. But yeah. they they are fun to have all the same when when they work out in your favor. But I will say their criteria their criteria seems to be for that award coaches that just surprise the crap out of you. And I don't know if Hubert Davis falls on that list. I feel like in a way he does, but in a way he doesn't. 
but also who else is going to surprise you like that? So I feel like by default, it's just (laughs) going to be like, here you go, Coach K. Enjoy. Well, if we're talking surprises, at least a share of the ACC regular season title for the first time in 12 years. Surprise! That was a surprise. I mean, I, I, I feel like, and we can get into it when we talk about Duke a bit more, but I always feel like there's something that goes a little south, even when they have the roster that you know, the kind of roster that they do right now. And it hasn't. Well, it did, though, didn't it? Because the rest of the ACC had to essentially underperform for them to do this. Yeah, and that's a good point, too, because, I mean, Florida State is drastically underperforming. Watching them right now, actually. Um, Virginia isn't Virginia this year. UNC isn't really up to uh, UNC standards. Um. I feel like Clemson usually does this thing where they fake they fake us out and then they kind of fade back into the Georgia Tech was good for a little bit of a stretch. I feel like everybody was good for a stretch this year. So yeah. the fact that all of that is true and Duke didn't just like absolutely run away with it is more of an indictment than um, anything else. But, you know, that's uh, the haterade in me talking. They will get to the NCAA tournament and they will probably get shell-shocked by the increased level of play coming from the other side of the ball. Yeah, and I have – when we get down to that, I have something – something so a new development for you too. <laughs> okay. I am looking forward to it. <laughs> um, so following the state win, um, a, a much closer, more heartburn-inducing game against Syracuse on Monday. Um, You know, we talk a lot about Leakey being able to go out there and be thrown at the other team's best offensive threat, and that was true. He pretty much locked down Buddy Beheim and kept him from doing Buddy Beheim things to us. But enter Cole Swider, um, who is a person whose name – I was not familiar with and and didn't have a reason to be familiar with. And he does what people always seem to do where he comes and hits seven threes and uh, scores 36 points. Um, That part, I don't really know what you do with, because if you have your best defender on their best offensive threat, somebody's going to get hot. Somebody else can come along a Cole Swider out of nowhere. And um, if you don't have anybody who can capably guard another person, um, you have have quite a situation to contend with. And obviously that's a big reason why the game was as close as it was. But... I'm going to be singing a lot of Drake when Leaky leaves. (laughs) You know, the whole, miss me a little when I go. Like... (laughs) That's going to be everybody about Leaky because it's just you cannot possibly overstate his impact on the defensive side of the ball. And like it and he's getting better on offense as well. So I feel like if he stayed an extra year, I mean, that 
likely increases UNC's chances quite a bit to do a lot of good things next year. Problem is what you discussed earlier with the scholarship situation. And I really don't know how that pans out if he starts hinting that he wants to come back. I don't know how you play that if you're Hubert Davis. I don't know if maybe players on the roster start making room for him via whatever they feel like they need to do. And there's multiple avenues that can be taken there, but um, yeah, we'll see. But I mean, the game against Syracuse was definitely the epitome of Leakey's career where it's like, you don't want him out of the game because he will handle the team's, the other team's best player. Granted, we don't have two of them. So somebody had to go off and it just happened to be Swider. Um, but he had to have been in, like, imagine if he didn't come back from that injury. Oh, I know. We would have lost probably by 20. (laughs) And see, I think another thing too, though, is, uh, we have to remember too, is I think one thing that has contributed to, um, us at least noticing such a glaring gap between, you know, needing that, you know, the one defensive player and the one offensive player, uh, opposing offensive player going off has been our um, inability to finish at the rim and actually score, right? We right. missed so many open bunnies and open looks, and it's like insane uh, a little bit. Yeah, that's how we ended up with Dawson Garcia, right? Um, and that was one thing that I was thinking. I was like, all right, all right, Swider, are you auditioning for UNC next season? Is that you know, is that what we're doing now? There's <laughs> uh, <laughs> always one. So. <laughs> but, but but you know, I I I definitely understand you. I just don't think it would be so glaring if we wouldn't hit those droughts. Like if we if we would finish um, at least you know a decent percentage of, of the shots that we're taking. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it would be so so glaring. But yeah, obviously, still when he would love. Yeah, I'd say need need, need Leaky back, uh, if nothing else, for his um, leadership that he can provide to the team. You know, next next season after everybody leaves, uh, kind of thing. But yeah, I just I don't know. Every time they miss one, I'm just like, if I was taking a shot for every shot that they missed, every rim shot that they missed, I'd I'd be in the hospital right now. <laughs> you would be long gone. Like it just really it, departed. And I don't even get it. Like, it's, I mean, wide open, you're at the rim. What's going on? Like, you know. And it's definitely emphasized when you do have someone hot offensively on the other side because you miss those easy little shots at the rim. They go down and hit a three, and suddenly, like, the swing is just dramatic. So I think it definitely contributes to that. And I also think that, when they're missing those easy shots, they've had a bit of a habit of just trying to like ram it through a brick wall and continuing to take the same sort of like rushed, not setting up a play. I'm just going to shoot and see what happens kind of mentality. And when the shots are falling, that's great. But when they're not, it's infuriating. And that's how you end up going on a three, four, five, six minute scoring drought and you can really put yourself in a bind um, against a team that isn't going to give you grace in that. Um, Obviously Brady Manick was a big reason why um, 
Carolina was able to survive the wider onslaught. Um, he had 22 points and hit three of his uh, six shots from long distance. Um, he had a really great senior night, and and honestly, we were all very happy to see it. Um, he's been a huge player offensively for them this year. Uh, I shudder to think where we would be without Brady Manick on the team this year. Um, but also, like, we can't really say enough about whatever switch flipped in Caleb in the last few minutes of that game. I think I can probably speak for all of us when I say that when he shot that three, um, I was ready to rip the television out of the wall and throw <laughs> it out the window. Um, <laughs> but but thankfully he he did and it went in because otherwise um, they they lose on a buzzer beater and and that's that. So um, <laughs> it's great when it works, but the the process behind it was probably ill-advised yeah i've i've fired off the quickest tweet before they came out of that time out just being like do not shoot a three caleb (laughs) like yeah just at him next time i i should have but my understanding of how all that played out is i guess hubert davis in the huddle basically told them whatever whoever gets the open shot take it and it just so happened to be that caleb was open and he took it and shut me up. I mean, because what happened immediately after is what we were kind of talking about is like the other team got down the floor, threw up a two pointer, sent it into overtime. Thankfully it wasn't a three, but I mean, if, if he had only made it two or somebody only made it two, I mean, that, that was game. So, you know, it's good that people don't listen to me sometimes. I mean, we a can all acknowledge that it was probably not a smart shot. <laughs> the The result is neither here nor there. But yeah. if, if you were just strictly speaking off of like what you should do in that situation, that probably wasn't it. It went in yeah. and we're all thankful and it ended up being a good result. But the process, yeah, and, not so yeah, good. And remember, remember when we're talking about their shots, though, we're not talking about a Luke May hitting a shot to win, you know, an Elite Eight game where where he's been performing at a consistent level all season, right? We're talking about Caleb, and I think we can all acknowledge that he's had his struggles um, at, at times during games. And I don't think that that one shot, while I'm very grateful for it, I don't think it negates like all of the the bad shots and the, the bad things that have happened over the course of the season. Um, that while you can't, you, you shouldn't specifically lay losses at his feet, there were quite a bit of run out uh, opponent scoring um, from, from misses and turnovers and, and things like that. So, yeah, no, I'm not going to lie. When he released it, I was like, yeah, yeah this is done. Uh, so. <laughs> like so, yeah. just screaming in my head but I mean credit to him it, it went in and then in overtime he kind of hulked out and and carried them to a win so obviously appreciate that very much um great time to show up um I cannot advise 
we do that again. Um, I don't know that it works out very well in a repeat performance, but for the time that it was, um, yay. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of focusing on Caleb Love as like a player overall this season. I am constantly confused as to like what, where to like put him kind of on my tier of players. And I think one of those reasons is like, so let's think back to like Marcus page and um, Kenny Williams when they had their like shooting droughts. I feel like a lot of what made those feel different is like they were proven shooters until they had these wild shooting droughts where they were, they just couldn't hit anything, but you wanted them to keep shooting them. Um, the weird thing about Caleb is everything is so seemingly inconsistent with him, yet I'm looking at his three-point percentage right now. He's shooting 38.4%, and to give an idea of where he's at, Brady Manick is shooting 389 I wouldn't have guessed that. But, I mean, I think for Caleb, it's not – it's not just the threes that are the issue. It's right. the, you know, all the shots at the rim. And, you know, I, I, I made a joke about um, his dunking percentage <laughs> the other night. That was, <laughs> that was probably mean, but like, I, I think Caleb visibly plays frustrated yeah. at times and, where like Joel Berry used that frustration to just be like, by the time I'm done with you, I will have ripped every limb from your body and you will be a heap on the ground. Like, I don't think Caleb's frustration plays out the same way. I think it just comes across as sloppy and poorly thought out. And um, that's a big difference. So like, there's, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with being frustrated with things, but how you channel it and, and the result of that um, needs to be productive and not just sort of out of control and um, that sort of thing, which I think we've seen a little more often than we've seen the Caleb at the end of the Syracuse game where it's yeah. like, you know, maybe he was frustrated, but it turned into him shooting well and, and doing better than we've seen. Um, I think more often than not, it just has not ended as cleanly as all of that. Right. And he's not the only one, right? No, uh, no, Baker, no, definitely not. Baker had, a, Baker had a, a few of the series of some um, unnecessary stuff going on there. Um but the one, the one constant that that we've had this season, I feel like, has been Brady Manic, right? Yeah. Um, and I, and I, and I, I don't know what it is about him uh, specifically, but he has played consistently at a high level, even when he's not making his shots in a Tower Hill uniform. And it's just like, okay, well, if this guy can come in this year to a new program, new system, and do this, then what are you other guys doing kind of thing? Like, why can't you uh, try to match kind of what he's doing kind of thing? And I think some of that comes from youth because I mean, when you're talking about a fifth year senior, I mean, that, that is definitely where a lot of that poise comes from. Um, 
I also think that the sort of elephant in the room is that a lot of those guys are the same ones that Roy made it very clear that he didn't feel like he could reach. (laughs) And, you know, you can extrapolate a lot out of that. Um, Roy is never going to throw them under the bus and he he's going to tell you that it's that he couldn't coach anymore. But what I hear in that is they won't listen to me anymore. And I don't think that changes overnight. I don't think swapping Roy Williams out for Hubert Davis turns a group of people who, I, I don't know what that is. I can speculate, but I don't think it's my place to speculate about the reasoning behind it. You know, I think we all have our theories and our assumptions, but at the end of the day, we're, we're trying to sort of like get into the minds of 18, 19, 20 year olds. And that's very difficult to do. Um, But I will just say that some of that seems to still exist. And um, that part I think is maybe not surprising if, if what Roy said is accurate and I have no reason to believe it's not, I can see Hubert Davis having the same issues of maybe not being able to reach players the way that you would maybe hope uh, you could. And obviously Manic wasn't on the team last year. So maybe that's why he's a little less um, of that, but I mean, yeah, it, it's definitely an attitude that I feel like doesn't get repaired overnight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we obviously um, want them all to do well. Um, they're the like hater contingent online who uh, wants to speak ill of literally children when they don't perform well is, is not something that um, I ever really understand, but I think you can also just say like at times effort has been uh, lacking seemingly Um, poise has certainly not always been there. And um, I, I don't know how you fix that. I'm glad I'm not the one paid to fix it. Yeah. And I mean, it's gotten a little better over the last few games. Granted, I feel like competition has taken a bit of a dip, but I mean, you still have to kind of give credit where credit's due until they give you a reason for you to take your credit back. So we'll see what happens Saturday. Yes, Saturday. (laughs) So um, the Duke game, does anyone on this podcast think, that they have a chance to win. No, I don't think so. As much as that hates, as yeah. I hate, as much as that pains me to say, um, and, and it's not even, I'm not even going to get into the talent discrepancy and, and everything that, that people will usually hit on, but Hey, it's coach K's last game. Um, you've got 85 alumni. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and probably Cowboys coaches and Tom Brady and Giselle. I don't know who's all going to be there. But, uh, the average ticket for the place is like $5,000. You know, it's like, I just, 
You're, it would be a monumental, it'd, it'd be a miracle to, to walk into there with all of that going on, not to mention uh, who you're going up against to come out with a win. Yeah, and I mean, Trevor Keels is coming back. He didn't even play in the first game, I don't think, or he played very little. I think he played very little, maybe. But, I tried um, to block that entire game from my memory. So Yeah, I, I think he was just coming off of an injury, but I mean... AJ Griffin's going to go off again. I already know. Ben Carroll will probably, like, I don't feel like he played very well thanks to Leakey. Um, he tell did me when until Leakey got put on him. Right. So maybe let's not. Tell me when you've heard that one before. But then, like, I don't know. This roster, uh, you were kind of saying that you wanted to, like, avoid the talent thing, and I definitely understand that. But I think this is also – this Duke team is just it's a bad better. matchup. Right. It's a horrible matchup for UNC. Their best shot is Caleb Love plays one of his best games. Brady Manick plays one of his best games. Armando Baycott plays, plays one, one of, of his, his best games. Yeah. And Puff actually plays. Uh, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and all of that, all of those stars aligning are difficult especially when you add in all of the other stuff um the fanfare of coach k's curtain call and all of that nonsense um but i also just think like you know they they haven't been very good on the road um obviously nc state (laughs) well and i guess here i should probably uh interject that if i'm apologizing for for underestimating unc teams against nc state i guess um a little part of me should also try not to underestimate the duke unc robbery i mean we have we have played duke at times uh where we have been actually I'm not even going to say that because I don't, I don't know the last time we actually played um, Duke where I thought we were, you know, that much like of an underdog. So never mind. Not, I'm not even going to continue that. Um, I, I feel like there is a year and I'm trying to think of which one it was within the last like 10 years. I mean, I guess if you think about like hype wise, the, the Zion year. Yeah. Nobody really mm-hmm. thought that. I, I definitely think that I people... think that was mainly just because they thought that well and so I think the game that I was thinking about too when we played them like that we were at the Smith Center we weren't at um, we weren't at, in Durham so yeah. was it was the Jabari Parker season uh, I forgot which one it was but we were unranked Duke was either sixth or seventh uh, and we beat them I want to say what maybe 2014 yeah yeah, I was at that game. Yeah, that was the Jabari Parker season. Um, we we pulled it off somehow. I don't remember exactly how the whole thing played out. I do remember Marcus Page breaking Queen Cook's ankles, though. I I remember that very specifically. <laughs> I mean, maybe Caleb channels the part of him that just like has a deep seated hatred for Duke for some reason. Yeah. And and things go better than we could have predicted. Um, that was not on display in Chapel Hill. So, you know, hopefully it's still in there somewhere. But um, I'm just hoping that it's not 
the absolute bloodbath that the last game was because that one was probably one of the few UNC Duke games that like just early on I was like my attention to this is at like a 20% because it's so very over. Yeah. I mean, they just panicked. I mean, from the, from right out of the gate, they just completely panicked and crumbled. I mean, I wish I could give more specific analysis of that, but just all of them looked rattled from the jump and they kind of snapped out of it a little bit in the second half and then Duke just slammed the door right back. Or what was it? The end of the first half, they they made like a yeah, they, really strong comeback attempt. Yeah, they brought um, it to within 11. And then the second half, I feel like they just kind of got waxed. And part, of, and part of that is I think Duke rolled out the zone, which of course they did. <laughs> um, yeah, it... I'm I'm just hoping that it's it's not a repeat performance of that. And you know, you, you say that you don't really or they panicked and all that, but like we've kind of talked about that where like they're not exactly proficient in getting punched no. and getting back up. No. And Duke landed a very sizable punch in that game. And they kind of fought back a little bit, but they had gotten so down bad that it was it was too too large of a hole to climb out of and then duke was able to punch them again and and finish them off so um and that's why i kind of thought that we were that we were going to go that same way with syracuse too right when we're down seven nothing i'm like ah here we go again Mm um so i i don't know we'll we'll see maybe uh the Duke-UNC rivalry will deliver us another instant classic. Uh, I hope so. Um, I'd love to see the, what is it, the the flute girl updated graphic, or she's crying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see a new one from a Cameron Crazy or an alumni, but yeah, I don't. It would I be... hate it as much as that. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I would say as much as I hate it, I just I'm trying to be realistic and not set myself up for a major uh, downer Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, I I think we can kind of just go into it not really expecting a whole lot and being extremely pleasantly surprised if it works out. Um, it would be extremely sweet to ruin that whole party, though. Like the entire curtain call, the yeah. whole Coach K marathon all Saturday, all over ESPN. I just, man, this year, like it, the farewell tour hasn't been as bad as I thought it would, but it also played out at certain times exactly how I thought it would. Like, I guess he got, uh, he got a present from Pitt. He got a present from Virginia. ESPN has been doing their usual sonic song and dance of like, Coach K's done this and this and this. And like, oh, by the way, you're watching a game that has nothing to do with Duke. And it's just, I'm ready for it to be done. I'm so ready for it to be done. It will all be over soon, maybe. Yeah. And I can only imagine that they say, not ESPN, but just uh, basketball media, college basketball media at large, save their best for last, which is the uh, which is March Madness, the NCAA tournament. I believe that you will be nauseated. 
uh, by some of the stuff that they do, especially if Seth Davis has anything to say about it. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I, I, one of the things that I think that I was probably expecting was to have a lot more of these like pregame ceremonies where he's getting gifts and stuff like televised. Um, now that, that didn't happen. So it's been like, you know, out of sight, out of mind thing, unless you just happen to see something on your timeline about it. Um, so I, I think that has been, um, a breather for me, a, a positive for me, but yeah, I think March, here comes March Madness. I think you'll see quite a bit of it. They may throw an actual funeral whenever Duke loses in the tournament. So yeah. If it's in the first round, I'll actually attend that funeral. <laughs> now, speaking of the tur- tournament question for both of you, how far do you think Duke gets? Like, I've been pondering this question all season, and I feel like I have bounced back and forth between this is a Final Four team, and we've seen this before, and they'll probably get bounced in the Elite Eight or something like that. But see, that's like my answer always for Duke. It's they'll either flirt with the championship and will be uncomfortable for like the entire month of March, or they will get hilariously bounced ridiculously early and we will laugh. Like, I don't feel like there's a lot of in between with them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my answer for that is going to depend on um, who's in their bracket too, right? If they get caught, if they end up catching another Cinderella or something, uh, and yeah, I can see them going all the way to the championship game. However, um, you know, just like you already said, I can see them going out early round. I think Sweet Sweet Sixteen is probably it. We'll see. Um, I hope it's the round of sixty four because uh, again, <laughs> I would not be able to handle how hard I would like that. Uh, that would be awesome. Uh, but but yeah, the Sweet Sixteen, I, I I'd expect something around there uh, for them to go out. <laughs> yeah. I I feel like as far as the national championship goes, right now my favorites are probably Gonzaga, Auburn, and uh, I don't really know who the third one is. Like, that could be a, a few teams, but I feel like those are probably my top two. So I'm going to be messy and say that you have to root against Auburn. Like, don't even <laughs> – don't even put them in your uh, in your top forward. Bad memories. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not out of want. It's just more out of what I've seen so far. So, uh, shout outs to Walker Kessler doing his thing. Happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, so happy, Walker. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm yeah, like like I said a few weeks ago, he's where he wants to be, living his best life. You know, hey, you, you can't really ask for much more than that, other than living your best life in Chapel Hill. So, yeah, it is what it is. The ACC tournament has already started for the women. Yeah, um, Carolina is awaiting the winner of Clemson, Virginia Tech. Um, do you think that they have a chance to win the whole thing? I know that the ACC is pretty stacked uh, with women's teams, but they they are one of the top four seeds. So uh, I guess the the big elephant in the room is uh, NC State. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. Um, I think they'll go as far as, 
as how great they play against NC State. Now, obviously, you know, they got to get past their their opening game, um, which I, I think they'd prefer to have Clemson uh, as opposed to Virginia Tech. They handled Clemson pretty well, split the series with Virginia Tech. But, yeah, that next the semi, the semi is uh, NC State. They can get if they can get past NC State, then yes, I very much see them they, them winning the whole thing. But they got to get past NC State. And but. I mean, we talked last time that uh, Courtney Banghart has has done very well against NC State. Um, the last game against them didn't go very well, but um, in her time in Chapel Hill, she has had. Uh, basically her way with the wolf pack, I would say. Um, but they're a very good team uh, is going to be very difficult to beat them. Um, but, you know, stay optimistic. I'm a lot more optimistic following that second game, that first game against NC state. The was, first game was awful. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible, but I feel like they had a fighting chance in the second one. They just, they couldn't do enough to, take a lead and keep it, which, you know, it is what it is. NC State's really good, but I'm hoping that third time's a charm and we can move on to the ACC championship and maybe beat Louisville again, hopefully. I've always said, um, and admittedly, this has been more about Carolina Duke men's than women's, but I have I have believed in my brain for a long time that it's very difficult to beat a team three times. Um whether that is accurate or just a nice thing to tell yourself when they've swept you in the regular season and you have to face them again in the ACC tournament. Um, we can't really say, but if, if that does hold true, and I feel like it has held true at times um, on the men's side, then maybe uh, the step, the big step forward they had in the second game against state will uh, prove to be um enough that they could build off of that and and get over that last little hump and surprise them. I would be shocked if we did not get to test that theory uh, this week, because I would, again, I would be shocked if uh, Virginia Tech or Clemson bounced them in their opening game, which would definitely set up the third matchup with NC State. So I think we'll get the, we'll get to see, we'll see. Yeah. Like I said, I, don't know about that game, but if they can pull it off and get past them, uh, yeah, I could very well see uh, Coach Banghart getting getting her first uh, ACC women's title in her third year. That would be really exciting. I um, feel like it's, it's been a while for the women, but um, they're definitely putting it together. I think it's like the most conference wins that they've had since the 2012-2013 uh, season, um, what, yeah, almost 10 years ago. Uh, and while we're here, since they've already announced their um, all ACC teams, probably should give a shout out to Miss Deja Kelly for uh, making first team or ACC all ACC first team, and Alyssa Usby um, for making the second team. Yeah, that's amazing. Very deserving. Um, both of them have been extremely good this season. Um, Deja will just never not amaze me with what she's able to do um and and the fact that we get to see more of her in Chapel Hill beyond this season is extremely exciting too I want Hubert Davis to like find a way to get her 
to play for the men's next year. <laughs> I was about to say, don't join that. That there's the fringe of the UNC fan base. <laughs> either, either Coach Baker needs to coach the men's team, or the men's team needs to go watch the women's team, or something. <laughs> See, I'm I'm saying it as a compliment to her because like. She's just that good. Like, she's fun to watch. And, like, even the bad games she's had, like, she's still found a way to do some really good things for the team. And I don't know. I, th- I think it would be a nice twist. Oh, <laughs> I like how she just stays so poised. Like, it doesn't matter what's going on. Like, she, you know, she keeps her emotions in check. And that was one of the things – I was watching one of their early games – uh, and I guess that was an emphasis that she had placed, you know, in the offseason on doing it. But, like, she knows she's a leader. She knows she's a top talent in the uh, conference. Like, she knows she has things that she wants to do. And she is doing them, uh, you know, under Coach Banghart. So, she's just, yeah, as far as um, the most, like, overall talented and most entertaining player to watch in a um, Carolina uniform right now is definitely her. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's pretty undeniable, and it's been a lot of fun to see her this season. Um, expect only good things from here, um, and if not this year, I I feel really good about next year. So uh, we'll see what happens, guys. We have anything else to cover? I don't think so. We ran through quite the gauntlet, so. Tis the season. Yeah. Tis the time of year. <laughs> the only other thing that I had for you was, I forgot to mention the back when we were talking about Coach K's curtain call, is it was reported today that he they Duke had officially asked to be placed in the Midwest uh, bracket and region because, because uh, you know, his hometown is Chicago as opposed to with the, the East, which is Philly. Um, and then so they had like UNC fans saying, oh, well, to be fair, like the higher seeds get to choose. I'm like, yeah, but they're not a higher seed yet. Uh, so right. it's a little presumptuous, you know, but that's so that's what I had for you. That came out like right as we were getting ready. Wow. But also very predictable. Extreme. But it's for the kids, though. Like it was just supposed to be for the kids. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. It will be hilarious to see John Shire squirm when he realizes that he can't do the things that Coach K gets to do because he hasn't earned the, like, 40 years of credibility in the sport of college basketball. You say that, but I have a sneaky suspicion that he will, like, inherit some of that via osmosis or something. He might. I mean, never know. I still... I still stand by my statement. I know Duke fans lit me up on Twitter about it, especially after we lost the pit. Um, but I still stand by. They're not going to be comfortable, even though it's going to be Shire's first year, what have you. They are not going to be comfortable, like, going through what we've been through, right? With the, the close losses, the close wins, the close games. They're not used to that, um, right. you know, on a consistent basis. And I really do believe they're going to hit that quite a bit next season um for them i know they hope that they're on the the win inside of that but they're still not going to enjoy that they'll take the win but they're still not going to enjoy these late you know two minutes to go we don't know who's going to win type of games and that's all i was saying like they're they're just going to miss that 
um, when, when Coach K leaves. So, I, and I still stand by that. Yeah, and it's going to be amplified with that recruiting class that comes in because, like, I think it's easy to say, okay, we have a top recruiting class. All we have to do is roll the ball out there and win. But I think it's way more complicated than people think in that regard. And they're going to find out the hard way. And I'll be here watching when it happens. <laughs> we hope they find out the hard way. I, The devil magic that emanates out of that place is not to be underestimated. So You mean blue I devil. believe it's leaving, though. It's leaving when he retires, unless he's going to be like a pseudo coach. He's probably <laughs> like injected his blood into Shire. <laughs> and he's going to like, you know, um, in Harry Potter – when Voldemort like takes over the professor and is like living in the back of his head, like that's going to be Shashevsky with Shire. Like Shire's going to start wearing <laughs> like a wrap around his head and Shashevsky's just going to be like in the back doing the talking and thinking for him. And it's going to be like a whole, a whole situation. So. <laughs> so he'll pop out the yell at a ref when a call doesn't go Shire's way. Um, Shire will turn around and undo the rap and Shashevsky will yell at the ref and then he'll put it back on and we'll continue. <laughs> so speaking of, speaking of, um, next, so next season, who will attend more games, Roy or Coach K? Roy. Roy. For sure. For sure. I think Coach K doesn't have the cholesterol to sit in the fan seats in Cameron. He's never had to do it before, so I think he might uh, – I mean, aside from that, I just feel like the UNC program runs so deeply through Roy that it's like I would just anticipate seeing Roy at way more stuff than K. Roy takes his, like, show on the road and stuff. Like, Shashevsky yeah. ain't leaving Durham. No. So if Shire gets off to a bad start, do you think Coach K is going to take his uh, apparel away from him? <laughs> yeah, probably. You'll just see him wearing like a tuxedo, and like no, he'll have to coach in like a plain Hanes white t-shirt <laughs> with no logos on it. Lock him out of his lock him out of his office. Take his shoes. Like, yeah. He can't be here. <laughs> so he's not wearing. allowed to wear the color at all. No, even if it's not branded, he's just like forbidden. We find out his car's blue and like Coach <laughs> K. <repossessed>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Krzyzewski wow. has it towed. There's a bus. Awesome. There's a bus for you. There's a scooter. Go, go take that. Yeah. yeah. But it's not blue. It's, it's just black. <laughs> <sighs> Good times. Fun, fun times. Well, I think that's all we have for this episode. We will be back to let you know how uh, all of Saturday goes. Um, and to tee up some ACC tournament stuff. But in the meantime, you can find Brandon on Twitter at THBBrandon. You can find Julius on Twitter at UNC underscore Tar Heel fan. And you can find me on Twitter at Tanya underscore underscore Anderson. And until next time, go Heels. Go Heels. Go Heels.